I did kick over the drum set, which is kind of a folk song, so that's not appropriate. And then when I handed the guitar back to my brother, I said, that's rock and roll, you don't change it, it changes you, which I don't know where that came from. Welcome to the Blackout Diaries, a show where stand-up comics plus everyday people tell true drinking stories. I'm your host, Sean Bear Flannery. And I'm CJ Sullivan, and each week here on the Blackout Diaries, we're going to have a different theme when it comes to debauchery and drinking of persuasion. And uh, this week's theme is the black sheep of the family. Love it. Yeah, you know, to, you know, kind of lose responsibilities or or be seen in a different light after right, a party absolutely. or a wedding. Our guest, Bobby Manilli, uh, who is a good friend of ours, former, um, yeah, one of the kind of co-founders of Pipeworks Brewery, uh, has now moved to Ohio. Uh, like as we say, it's not always stand-up comics on the Blackout Diaries. No. He was a former brewer that used to always do the show. He has a hilarious right. story about getting too drunk at an engagement party. And you, you and I, though, CJ, like, uh, you know, every family has black sheeps, but ours are, you and I both have a, a similar uh, arrangement in yes. our families where it's like a rotating guest of black sheeps, D- different black sheep at different events. Right. We each take, we each have a shift. And it's like, it's kind of like jury duty. You know, when, when, <laughs> eventually it's your turn to like, I, okay. Well, I ruined the last wedding. Yeah. Nope. No, <laughs> you didn't. That, that was two weddings ago. That was Tommy's. You're up. <laughs> you think, well, you did ruin that? Then you must not remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so we take tur- we take turns destroying things, but yep. it's also understood. And the actual black, she- then if you think about the actual black sheep of our family, or just the, the, yeah, uh, we we almost have two roles. We have the gray sheep and the black sheep. The gray right. the gray sheep is a fun person who yeah. ruins his two or three events per year. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's and that's just the cost of doing business. You know, nobody holds it against you too much. <laughs> That's fine. But then we have actual black sheep, right. and they're, they're a little different in our families. Right, CJ? The actual black sheep in my family that stand out are just the uh, the one uncle and cousin that are smart, basically. And they're, <laughs> yeah. they're studious. They're very book, you know, they're book yeah. read and all that stuff. And and we're, they're always considered weird with weird. us. We're like, <laughs> He's a weird like, guy. Like, ah, you know, you know, they're weird. They do their, they do their own thing. Yeah, it's a lot of weird. Thing. He's got a lot of right. weird theories. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like he's he's a, he's an artist and he goes to college. So yeah, yeah. Very weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, extremely talented too. We just consider we're just weird. Just sketching so weird. I'm like it's pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> and you, Sean, as well. You would. Uh, I know you would uh, talk about anyone that. Uh, would clean up their clean up their act all of a oh, sudden. Oh yeah, so we would. It would be interesting. We would have some like black. Shit. Eventually, some of my uncles, I guess, and even my older cousins just got too out of control, and then like uh-huh. I never even met them. Like they just weren't allowed at events. You know, right. they were straight up alienated, <laughs> ostracized yeah. from everything. But then yeah. they would clean up their acts much later in life, and it would be interesting. There was like a four year period. Where like my mom and dad would sit us aside before we go to a wedding, and they'd be like, okay. Uh, you know, you're going to meet somebody tonight who's going to say he's your uncle. And uh, that's because he is your uncle. <laughs> You've never met him. And I'm like, what? Right. I'm I'm 18. What are you talking yeah. about? Like, well, you know, and then my dad would always try to, because it was my mom's side that had all the problems. Yeah. And my dad would always be like, well, buddy, you know, sometimes adults, they get into, you know, arguments over money, uh, that kind of thing. And yeah. <laughs> So, anyways, we're cheering for him now, and uh, we're all rooting for him. And you're gonna meet him tonight, and uh, you know, just try to be real merry around him. <laughs> That's hilarious. I also want to introduce you to the term Irish grudge. We like to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, have it was right. funny because like then you learn about all the transgressions. And I'm like, okay, well that was a mistake, but like, right. you didn't need to not talk to him for thirty years over that. <laughs> for thirty years. <laughs> Well, that was his decision. He, he he's that was on me. <laughs> he didn't apologize in exactly the way I wanted yep. him to apologize. So he knew he, he knows what he could have done. <laughs> Speaking of knowing what he can have done, let's um 
So after that, we'll talk. We'll talk about our own couple black uh, black sheep stories of mm-hmm. uh, and family responsibilities. That's what a lot of this is about. Where you're not or not allowed to. Uh, yeah, you you lose uh, certain privileges, mm-hmm. you know, after your behavior. You Absolutely. Know? So anyway, well, without further ado, let's get into the real story. The legendary brewmaster turned bookmaker, if you will, <laughs> Bobby Minnelli. <laughs> Give it up for Sean Flannery, guys. How you guys doing? This show is amazing. Wouldn't be anywhere else. It's kind of an honor. It's like the all-star weekend of drinking in Chicago to be asked to be like at a Blackout Diaries taping, you know? So I, I couldn't miss it. Um, but the, the story that I'm telling, you know, I kind of have to hope that, see, my family doesn't talk about it at all. <laughs> so, like, hopefully they don't see this. <laughs> um, but, or maybe, maybe it'll be therapeutic, you know? Like, maybe someday. If you, if you watch this, Mom, I love you, and I'm sorry about this. But the <laughs> truth is, Sean and I did meet in a bar, and he was like, hey, I heard that you like catastrophically ruin your mom's 50th birthday party. <laughs> and I was like, I, yeah, I did. And he was like, what happened? And I, you know, we had a few drinks and I told him and, and he was like, looking at me like, like he had seen a risen saint or something. <laughs> he was just, he was stunned. He was like, you gotta come tell this story on my show. And the first thing I asked was like, is there any way my mom will see it? <laughs> so here we are, you know, Many, many years later, I still hope my mom doesn't see it. Um, I, woke up, I woke up on like a threadbare mattress in an uh, uh, empty apartment. Not like just empty of people, but like no furniture, like no sheets, no, nothing. Like just, I was just in my underwear on a mattress. And you know, that thing that happens to you when you've like gotten catastrophically drunk where like your memories start swimming back, I don't know. You guys are probably heavy drinkers if you're here at this show. You've ever been on the L or something and you just remember something from like the night before and you're just like, oh God, oh fuck. You know, like you just like say something out loud. You have to have a verbal reaction to, well, it was like that. Like I, I sat up and I was just like, oh no. And then I looked around, and as I looked around and saw that there was nobody in this apartment, and then that there was no furniture in the apartment, and then that there were no sheets on the bed, and then that I didn't have any clothes on, I was like, the element of quarantine was undeniable, you know? And I was like, oh, fuck, what could have happened? What could have happened? It started like, to come back to me a little, like certain things. It had been, you know, my mom's 50th birthday party, and... Um, uh, I walked out into the family room and my brother was just, he was, I'm the oldest of five siblings and, and my brother who was two years younger than me, we lived in Chicago, Chicago together and, and so he was aware that I could be a weaponized drunk. Um, but even he had a look on his face like he had seen some shit, you know? And he was smoking and he was on the patio and he was like looking in at me and gestured that I came out. And I just like, I was like, how bad was it? And he was like, you ruined everything. <laughs> um, which is a big statement, you know? Um, but I guess to, to give you guys a little bit of context, my family is this tight-knit group of five siblings, and my mom and my dad have been married for 26 years, and that year, my mom had left my dad, and she was living in this apartment complex called the Falls on Landon, and she was living there with her boyfriend at the time, who had previously been very close with our family, and was her boss and, and my dad's friend, and um, my dad was in the middle of a bankruptcy, and so the family had imploded, and um, and respectfully, her boyfriend at the time had asked us, hey, I want to show, show your mom a good time. You know, it's been a rough year. I want to throw her a 50th birthday party. I'm going to invite all of the friends from their shared industry where they worked, and 
I want to have all these people here to celebrate her because it's been such a rough year. And probably at the time, I should have articulated my objection. But I didn't. I just kind of went along with it. And, um, and so, you know, like the day came and, and they had rented the common space of the falls. It's a very nice apartment complex, but definitely like has an aura of divorce like they all do, you know? <laughs> and um, they rented the common room and it had these big like, like vaulted ceilings with timbers and a balcony and... You know, it had this giant pool and a gazebo, and the pool, the pool for some reason had this like, this giant sort of almost high dive height diving board in this Olympic pool. And it's the middle of the summer because my mom's birthday's in June. And you know, as we're dragging coolers down there and setting up for this party, my brother and I are just like, if you've never had your family implode, like licensed to smoke, like chain smoke cigarettes, just psh, over and over and over again. Your parents can't say shit because, you know, they just blew up the family. So, <laughs> so we're like smoking, you know, brooding, but also kind of helping set up, playing pool. And I could see that, that it was, the occasion was disturbing my siblings. You know, my three younger siblings were quite a bit younger. And they didn't have voice to say why it was upsetting them. But the truth was it wasn't, it wasn't a celebratory occasion, you know. Um, and they were being forced into celebrating and being, you know, a young artist bombing, trying to be the Strokes in Chicago. I knew a thing or two about <laughs> celebrating, we'll say. <laughs> and so... At one point, I looked at my brother, and we were smoking, and I was like, I think I'm going to burn it all down. <laughs> and he was like, please don't. <laughs> and that was all we really said about it <laughs> until the patio the day after. Um, but have you ever seen anybody drink with intention? You know, like there's drinking, there's partying, and then there's somebody who's trying to get something done. You know, like, like, like three beers in five minutes, just like, ooh, he's got a mission, you know? That's the type of drinking I was doing as we were setting up for the party. And, um, you know, so by the time that people started to arrive, I was, always, I was already sort of midway into this, this mission. You know, I was like, oh, I'm gonna poke fun at some Republicans, flirt with some of the, uh, my mom's colleagues maybe, you know, like these were just the initial stages that I was kind of thinking about. <laughs> and, and um, it, you know, it, it probably seemed manageable. Like, oh, this Bobby's uncomfortable, he's gonna get drunk, but whatever. They'd all handled that before. Um, it wasn't really until like, it wasn't really until I took my little brother, my youngest brother, he was 13, I think, at the time. He was in a band. Um, they were called the Poop Sticks or something. I don't know. They were 13. <laughs> and then, but he could really play. He played guitar and he, and he played drums. And there was another kid that played drums. And, like, and it, it, something you might need to know is that my parents were the singers at our church. Um, so it was this incredibly gossipy thing when they split up, and they were both really gifted um, musically. And um, there was something about like my brother trying to bring his music into the occasion as people were coming in. And, you know, they were set up near the gazebo, and everybody was kind of guffawing at you know the young kids playing their rock and roll and how silly it was. But it was really my brother Brian trying to to bring my dad into the occasion, you know, because when. My mom left, like, her harmonies literally went unsung. You could hear that she wasn't around. And it was incredibly juicy gossip for this church community. Um, it's a weird thing to go through something like that and have been going to church every Sunday. You know, like, you, 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 it puts it into a strange perspective. Like, you have, you know, you have, you've been going and watching this 
thing where they did this horrible thing to this person and it was like all this violence and you see the nails going through his hands man that was really tough right you know and uh it's nothing to fall back on so i kind of i kind of i was angry about that and the music the music kicked it off in me for some reason and i guess you know the, the details start to get foggier but i took my brother's guitar and i did a version of a song that my dad used to play a bob dylan song that I think he recorded with the jam called You Ain't Going Nowhere. It was, but it was a very specific message to my mom and the people that knew my, my mom and my dad. And um, I don't know if when Bob Dylan recorded it with the band, he tacked on a six-minute solo at the end, <laughs> like I did. But um, from then on, from that point on, it, it, was, it was off. Um, I th it's embarrassing, but I did kick over the drum set which is kind of a folk song, so that's not appropriate. And then when I handed the guitar back to my brother, I said, that's rock and roll, you don't change it, it changes you, which I don't know where that came from. Um, but at this point, I had switched from beer to whiskey, and there were people like filling it. There were like 100 people there, and it, it, it had become a thing, like how drunk I was. You guys have seen that happen, right? Where it's like a thing that a person is this drunk in a public space. And so my mom, had called everybody into the into the common space, um, and I had a kind of a I had a strange feeling about it. All seventy five hundred people packed in there. Her her boyfriend was up on the balcony, and it was right before they right before they they actually pulled out. You know, he pulled out the ring that I was like, oh, I know what's happening. Which is, I was like, he couldn't even get it right. Like, uh, Juliet is on the balcony. Romeo's on the ground. Why is he up top? <laughs> but either way, I finished, a, I finished this bottle of Jack Daniels. And, um, and uh, my uncle, who was probably my only ally in the situation, um, Michael Dave uh, was very into Western reenactments. So he was dressed like a cowboy the whole time. Um, which just please picture that. It's just a, that's a that's honest to God the truth. I don't know. He was like in a long duster with a hat, and um, and uh, at one point he he tried to take the bottle of Jack Daniels as my mom's getting proposed to, and and he said to me, um, "Hey, are you doing okay? Because your mom wants to talk to you, and I can tell you're upset." And I said, "You tell her I'm coming." And tell her hell's coming with me. <laughs> Which is actually a line from uh, the Wyatt Earp uh, story Tombstone. Uh, the 1991 Val Kilmer, Kurt Russell pick. Which I just figured like my uncle would get. Um, and, uh, and at that point, hell really did start to approach quickly. Um, I, I had always had a crush on my mom's best friend. And she was probably my only other ally in the situation and she had she tried to take me to, s to the side and she's like you know talk to me and and she was like she was like look i know you're really upset but like this is this is becoming a real problem um and i was like well let's go into let's go into the common room have we'll have a drink and and like you know secretly i'm thinking anyway Lori agrees to this, and um, she she starts putting them back like faster than faster than I was by by two, you know. And I was like, "Holy shit, Lori can drink!" And um, and what I didn't know was that Lori's husband was an alcoholic, and Lori had not had a drink in eighteen years. So Lori and I decided to move this occasion to behind the pool house where we can talk privately. <laughs> At a certain point, and again, the details do get foggy, I heard a voice behind me, not necessarily the Lord's, but probably worse. <laughs> it was Rick, her husband. He had been working at home. He was not even there. Someone had called him. He was like, hey, I think I should get her out of here. I was like, oh, Rick. Oh, yeah. Um, that's probably a good idea. Um, 
Haven't seen Rick since. So if he's watching, also apologize, Rick. Um, I, walked from, I walked from the pool house fully by myself. If you're like paying attention allegorically, this would be like where Jesus drops the cross and then the guy tries to help him. And, but <laughs> I, I walked from the pool house. Um, I, I knew what I had to do. I walked from the pool house to the base of the diving board. And at this point, like, everyone was watching me. You know, the, the whole party had gathered out on the lawn. My mom was very, very upset. Um, her husband wanted me dead. And I climbed the ladder of the, um, of the high dive. And as I got to the top, I started to sing this song that my parents used to sing in church, um, trying to get my siblings to sing with me. They declined. Um, but I was way, way up at the top. I started right at the back. I was like, and he will raise you up on eagle's wings. And she's just screaming, you know, bear you on the breath of dawn. And then I looked down and my mom was like, please don't jump in the pool. And I was like, and make you to shine like the sun. And I pointed at her and I was like, and hold you in the palm of his hand. And at this point, they're all frozen. So at least I have their attention. <laughs> and my mom is screaming and, I, and I, I looked down at her and I was like, and Jesus wept. <laughs> And I jumped into the pool. <laughs> I knocked myself completely unconscious from the high dive. I had two full-grown men have to jump into the pool after me in their suits and pull me out. And at that point, you know, apparently I was taken <laughs> to the uh, to the, the the threadbare mattress. Uh, it's funny how these things come full circle. I think really. <laughs> But yeah, guys, uh, if, if you happened to have parents get divorced, let them have their birthday celebrations without you, you know? <laughs> Thanks, that's my time. Let's hear for Bobby Manelli, everyone. We're back here in the Blackout Diaries. That was the amazing Bobby Minnelli telling the story of bringing hell with him. And here he, we brought hell with us live in the studio <laughs> with the interview, the one and only Bobby Minnelli. Bobby, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm excited to uh, excited to join you. Yeah, of course. You're one of the best uh, Blackout Diaries. You're one, of the, you're one of the standout, I think, non-comic stories where people always... You're asked about, I think, the most, probably. I think, the original days, Sean. You yeah. Agree? You were yeah. recognized from the Blackout Diaries while traveling, weren't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. At one time, I think it was after we did the the, the stuff where we had toured a little bit, like did the mm -hmm. Ohio stuff, mm. but somebody was, like, somebody was like, hey, are you the guy... Who ruined his mom's wedding? I was like, course. <laughs> I was like, was like, she, right. just, she was getting get engaged that day, but yeah, but you got the basic gist of it, right? That was it. It seems like it seems like it's a wedding because when I think of things getting ruined like that, it's usually weddings and second weddings. But that's actually cocky on their part. It was an engagement slash birthday party together. Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah, it was a surprise engagement at a birthday party. Oh and, boy! Well, know, they're oh, asking boy. for it. Yeah, there's there was, consent, there was consent. There was issues right from the top. <laughs> That's what I thought. About. <laughs> <laughs> now, how would uh, Bobby? You're you're like the oldest of six kids, right? I'm the oldest of five. Yeah, yeah, five. Okay. Now, how did your That's younger amazing. siblings react uh, <laughs> to all this? I mean, you know, they they. The next day, you know, looked at me as if they'd seen someone transition into something horrible and then to, had to pretend like, like if you found out someone close to you was a vampire, you know, and then had to, had to, had to play it cool. Or like a mob hitman yeah. or something like yeah. that. Yeah. They, they, they had these like knowing looks. They were like all cautiously nice to me and stuff like that. Oh, you know? man. Uh, I think, I think it became part of our, uh, our trauma footprint at least, but, um, uh, 
you know, I think they were, they were all kind of shell shocked the, the, in the, you know, and they were younger, everyone except my brother, Mark, who was, you know, chain smoking and, and, um, kind of caught me up to speed as to what right. I had, I had missed. And he's the one you, <laughs> he's the one you confessed to earlier, or not confessed to, but like you, uh, foreshadowed your plans towards him, where he's like, uh, yeah. like "I'm gonna burn this. I'm gonna burn this all down." Yeah. And he says, "Yeah, please don't do that." He, <laughs> he saw it coming. He was yeah. one, he was the only one who knew your powers. He said that it was kind of like because he, he, you know he he gave me a hard time about it for a long time because it did cause a lot of you know sure. uh, uh, stress in the in the subsequent days, and he said it was like it was like uh, like in the NBA when you like know someone maybe has the like Jamal Crawford or something like that where you know they could go off but they don't go off like they, right. don't, they don't ever like and then they have that game where it's like oh this is what they can really do I like that you're the Jamal Crawford of ruining family uh, ga- family I, events yeah I think the first time you ever did the he can, he can heat up in a hurry yeah <laughs> you're your brother was in the audience and, you know, during the Q&A, uh, the first question, every time Bobby told this story, the first question was always, well, what was the wedding like? You mm-hmm. know, if that's what you were right, like yeah. at the engagement part was. And his brother decided to answer from the crowd and he just goes, he was not invited. I'm like, I could answer that. Yeah, he's not invited to the wedding. <laughs> in fact, they like, they like, they like moved the whole thing states away from me. Like, like a short time later, they were like, you know, I think we might get married in Vegas, you know? <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's like not an elopement. It's like an eloping from one person, like hiding the whole thing from one, like a surprise, yeah. like a reverse surprise party. Yeah, like they expected <laughs> me to show up like at the Kill Bill wedding, having found them, you know, <laughs> the handle of Jack Daniels. Uh, now, when you went into uh-huh. the pool, I like, I like, because you see that in movies a lot, having to be rescued out of a pool. Situation like being unconscious and, and and that's just a great visual. People in suits having to dive into a pool. Yeah. Like time yeah. time is of an essence and like ruining phones. Do you remember going into the pool? Do you remember? Do you remember being underneath underwater and seeing splashes coming down after you? Uh, I, I yeah, I have a memory of like of like um, the fall, and mm-hmm. you know how you know you're remembering things in spits and uh, and fits and and spurts at, at that point in your drunkenness like what i remember more is like uh the anger like the nothing will yeah. make a grown man as angry at you as having to jump into a pool and while he's in a suit right. to yeah get for you. sure like <laughs> you know so i remember like i don't remember who it was that was helping get me out of the pool but i remember they were fucking furious you know just sure, very upset. Sure. i mean like nothing I can't think of a more assured way to end the evening yeah. than forcing <laughs> right. people in suits to jump into a pool yeah, and save somebody. The, I think it'd be easier to recover from an active heart attack yeah, in the middle of the a party. party is, like, than once that. someone is sopping wet, the party right. is <laughs> Well, today, in today's day, you probably you might, I mean, who knows if they would have got you out in time because they've been too busy taking out cell phones and electronics. You know, like yeah, people aren't yeah. people aren't diving in quickly in, to the, in today's world with, right. pool, with, like with all the last... all the money in their pockets. Yeah. Yeah, it was like one of those last pure moments where there mm-hmm. wasn't a cell phone in sight. Everyone was just like yeah. bearing witness to what was yeah. actually happening. Yeah, it, it, that was the end of self-aggrandizing I mean. uh, water dumps. You did them yeah. a favor. I bet they look back and fond yeah. on that. More, that was more, <laughs> more innocent time. <laughs> Bobby, what I love about your story is that, like just how many quotable moments it has. Like my wife and I will quote that story all the time Mm -hmm. to each other like if the kids are being bad and she's like i need you here and i'll be like well tell the kids i'm coming and hell's coming with me (laughs) Um, but my my favorite is when you uh start playing i think you said you played a bob dylan song and you tell the kids that's rock and roll you don't change it it changes you (laughs) yeah yeah do your brothers and sisters ever quote any of the things you said that night, or is it all kind of memory hold out of them? Or do they not think it's as hilarious as we do and our <laughs> listeners? Well, they, they, they remember it, and every once in a while, you know, it will come up. But, you know, um, fortunately, we've all grown as people and things like that. But, like, it's still not something that my family really talks about much. And when gotcha. it does come up, it's kind of talked about in whispers a little bit um yeah. although does my little brother 
remember me kicking over the drum set at, at, you know, when he was in a band at 13 and telling him, you know, that's rock and roll. You don't change it. It changes you. Yeah, that's, burned, that's burned into his brain. Yeah. You know? <laughs> he may not quote it with, bon- with fondness. Someone's got to teach him, though. You know, you're, yeah. that's what an older brother does. Yeah, well, and what we're talking yourself. about here. Like, like, yeah, you, know, you get a little poetry in your drunken ramblings and you're like, oh, that mm. if I weren't being oh, yeah. such an idiot, that w- might have been that might have been uh, pretty good. It's a great line. Yeah, it's a great line. <laughs> and, w- and what we're kind of talking about today on the Blackout Diaries with your story is like, you know, uh, just family mem- like kind of becoming a black sheep at a party yeah. or maybe not being trusted as much the next day. And it's crazy because your family has a billion insane stories that you've told me over the years. Like, don't you have an uncle? That wasn't allowed to watch you after he took you to an air show, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he, he actually, in fact, he wasn't allowed to watch us before the air show and then <laughs> begged my mom to have uh, some quality time with us and then took us to the air show. And what transpired, uh, you know, resulted in him not being allowed to watch us ever again. So it was really just the one time. Um, <laughs> That's how you do it, though. It's just, you make it spectacular, and then you're never asked to do the favor again. Yeah. yeah. And, to, to, like, and what, know, what happened? What did he do at the air show? Well, he, he, my Uncle Dave is, you know, he, um, he, he passed away two years ago, maybe. Um, and, I, like, we had fond memories of him, you know, because he was such a wild card. But, like, you know, um, he, he had retired, he was in the air force, he was in Vietnam and he had retired from being a nurse, but he took his pension super early. So he like, this is totally factual. He, he got so obsessed with the Billy Crystal movie, city slickers that he took his pension and spent the whole thing at, at like going on like tourist, like cattle ranch rides and yeah and so he got super into being a cowboy and he just spent just boatloads of money and there's like everybody was doing these these ranch drives you know sort of after city slickers and so he would show up at like christmas and stuff in like a long duster with like his his this big handlebar handlebar mustache dyed black and he always wore like a giant cowboy hat, but he also always had loaded six shooters. He just kept loaded guns. What? So, <laughs> yeah. And he, and he wasn't drove, allowed. To, he wasn't allowed to babysit you guys. He drove this like a. It was like a. Is it called a geo tracker? Or he yep. drove this like neon blue little car. And my dad would always make him put the guns on the, the, the passenger seat before he came into the house and stuff like that. So like they had every cause to like not let him watch us. Mm, but yeah. he had two daughters, and he would often like lament about not having sons and, you know, um, and I, I was with tombstone was really hot back then. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I was into, you know, cowboy myths and legends and things like that. So, you know, every once in a while I'd come home from school and there'd be like, like five old newspaper articles about doc holiday on the porch. Cause he'd like leave stuff. <laughs> and, and eventually I mean, it, mom, it worked. That's when you drop the, uh, hell's coming with me line at yeah, the yeah, exactly. engagement party. Yeah. It's ingrained in your brain. Yeah. And my mom, like my mom, uh, uh, eventually folded, you know, and he wanted to take us to the Dayton air show and the whole, mm. you know, how, like when you're a kid, you know, the adult world governs you. So it's hard to learn to like trust your instincts to the point where you could overtly say, this is wrong. Something's mm-hmm. this, something's not right. <laughs> or this isn't safe. Yeah, right? sure. But yeah. like the whole... you defer to the adults who tell yeah. you it's okay. They yeah. know what they're doing. They're adults. Yeah. <laughs> but the whole time I was like, it, it just doesn't feel right. Like everything that we were doing because we're going to the air show super late. So we were like, what, what, are it was we dark out. See? Yeah, it was like it was like it was like three p.m. and we're like, what are we gonna see? And like, he wouldn't spend any money because he had like a certain amount of cash, but he clearly had a destination for that cash. And so he was like not spending any money. So then we couldn't. We our mom had given us each twenty bucks, and we couldn't figure out like when to eat. And so we were just like, this is weird. Like hanging out with Uncle Dave is weird. And then uh, he took us around this like chain link fence. And talked with some guys, like literally, like, oh, wait here. And we waited by this chain link fence. And then he went out near, like, 
the runway and talked with these pilots who were dressed like <laughs> fucking Chuck Yeager. I mean, like in like green, like Maverick suits and stuff, you know, and the air show had kind of like all, most of the tricks had been done. So we hadn't really seen anything. And we were like, what is he doing? Like, and, and he came over just so happy and God bless him. I mean, he went for it, you know, like he came over smiling real broad and we're good to go. We're good to go, boys. We're good to go. And we were like, what, what, what are we good for? You know, what are we good for? And he's like, you just go on over with this guy and that guy. And he's pointing this, giving us directions. And he's like, and he'll just suit you up. He'll suit you up. And we're like, what, what is he, you know? And all of a sudden I realized, and my, my younger brother, Mark is a very fretful sort of anxious person naturally. And man he was he was not on board right away because like he was like he was like he wasn't you know, on board with getting a mock capable jet fighter yeah he, he was just like you don't go up in planes willy-nilly you know it's just not something that you do how old and, how old were you and the brother at the time uh i was i was 15 and, and mark was 13 okay and i remember that okay. because when they put uh like they put the parachute big parachutes on us and it was like a a, a fighter jet that they were like they train people on so like both um sort of steering mechanisms work like yeah, there's yeah. a guy in the front and then the guy or you know he was behind i was in the front and he was behind i think and uh and so i immediately knew that we were going to get in a, just an enormous amount of trouble you know for for <laughs> if i were to go up in the plane but i was like i was like we got to do this we got to do this we got to you know we're going to get it go up in the plane and mark was like like very much like no this is terrible like we can't you know and uh they put these big parachutes on us and gave us like headgear and like you know stuff that we had to wear and uh um, when they were suiting mark up he was a tiny kid at 13 he was really small he hadn't had his growth first yet and i was like i was like that parachute seems really too big for him it was like heavy it was like he, he was burdensome and the guy this old like grizzled dude who was smoking and like had like navy tattoos as he was suiting me up just just without even cracking a smile he just goes uh that parachute would do nothing for him and i was just like, <laughs> i was like i was like what do you mean and he's like he's way too small it wouldn't do it i don't know he'd come right out of that and <laughs> And then right out. <laughs> and then I got into the to the to the jet and in a fever dream, this guy took us up and I mean this guy was one of the pilots who did like like stunts there. So mm -hmm. with a kid like in, a blue angels yeah, capable pilot. Kid, he did yeah. that thing where you fly straight up and then like the, the plane like falls back down a bit. Free falls and down, yeah. Like, you know, uh, uh, so the, and he was not very friendly, which was amazing too. Like, cause you know, you'd want to be comforted through that experience or whatever. He was like, you know, he was kind of a grizzled old dude too. who my uncle had given money to, and he just kept saying, don't get sick. Don't get sick in the plane. You know, so. <laughs> right. That comes know, upside down. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it was like, you know, like when we took off the, your cheeks suck back and your eyes water and, you know, and so the whole time I was trying not to be sick in the plane. But um, the speed was incredible. He was looping. He was turning. At one point, <laughs> he let me dive it, and he let me pull it back up. Sure. You know, and at a certain you. point, like like when you get used to a roller coaster or something, I was screaming and yelling, and you know, <laughs> and uh, and that was not the case with my brother. I was like, I got down. I was like, it was awesome. You know, we landed. I was like, right. it was incredible. And uh, he 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 was like a, a lizard color when they landed, and immediately started puking. Uh, <laughs> So, he puked when he got out, though, not inside. No, no, he, yeah, he puked when he got out. And also, like, well, that's they good. gave us, like, Listen, he they, gave us, they took our picture in the plane. They gave us patches. Uh, so when we pulled. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to post. When we post this, we'll have to include the oh, picture. Yeah, yeah. Bobby showed me yeah. the picture once of on his brother getting into the plane with that parachute, parachute on. on me. Yeah. It is so it. It looks like uh, like when you see the Sherpas carrying all the gear or something yeah. like like the parachute looks so enormous on his body. <laughs> what, it and I think like, what it looks like is that they don't have child sized parachutes for jets. Right, yeah. and for, for good reason. The U.S. Air Force doesn't yeah. have child sized. For good reason, they shouldn't be in fighter pilots <laughs> in vehicles meant for war. Uh, uh, but my dad had this vein that would pop in his head when he got really angry and he would set his jaw 
And when we got we got home, we were so excited. We jumped out of the, like the geo track, and we're like, we went up in the plane, you know. And we were like mm-hmm. showing him patches and stuff like that. And that vein started to come out, and the jaw set. And he was like, you, "What did you do?" And I was just like, oh, "This is this is this is we're not going to see Uncle Dave again for a while." <laughs> did, did you think any give you like no? Don't tell anyone about this kind of thing, or was it you was just too excited you had to tell people? No, in fact, we didn't talk about it that much. I think he knew that it was going to be a problem between him and our parents. He obviously knew (laughs) what he was going to do when we went. But the only thing we did afterwards was we spent both spent our $20 bills treating him to Denny's because he said that was all the cash Uncle Dave had. Perfect. Got him a real cowboy breakfast, I bet. That's yeah. great. <laughs> Uncle uh, Dave, what a legend. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now, Bobby, you're calling, uh, you're, you're calling us right from, from uh, it looks like you're in front of this bookstore that you're building. We, we know you as the brewery man who had his own brewery. Yeah. Now you're... And now you're making a natural progression to books, from brewery to books. Yeah, Tell us about what's from, going on there. From one vice to the other. Well, um, uh, you know, I mean, all that time that, that uh, everyone spent in Chicago, you know, pursuing various arts, I always felt like like uh, bookstores were kind of a, uh, uh, you know, unspoken headquarters for everybody, or at least you could always hang out in Borders. You know, the Borders mm-hmm. on Diversity and Clark? Right. I, like, that was great. There. Mm-hmm. That was a you great know? hangout. Yeah. And as you know, bookstores uh, found a new model and a new way in which to thrive post Amazon. One of the byproducts of you know those changes was that you know they essentially hyper curate and maximize a small amount of square retail footage. So you have these like small, um, incredibly specific neighborhood supported bookstores, which are incredible as well. These independent mm-hmm. bookstores. But you know, uh, a further extension of that became you couldn't really hang out in bookstores anymore because that was a problem problem that bookstores couldn't really solve right like the pastime of enjoying being in a borders was not in all at all inextricably linked with spending money in borders like i probably bought stuff one out of every 10 times i was there you know (laughs) and um so when i moved back to ohio to be around family and to uh kind of pursue uh starting my own bookstore which is called household books um i was trying household books yeah i was trying to develop like an experiential um, sort of um, cultural access point. You know, the last bookstore in LA is pretty great about that. They they mm-hmm. have you know podcasts that happen out of that space and yeah, yeah, know, comedians do book reviews and things like that. And that's one of the last uh, few bookstores in the country where you can you know have that kind of like you know performance literary venue vibe and also that type of engagement. And so I wanted to bring something like that to Cincinnati. I think it might be a thing of the future rather than a thing of the past. Um, certainly, you know, with regards to starting Pipeworks, you know, the brewery, that was a thing of the past that became a thing of the future, you know, a response to the 2008 recession. And uh, Yeah, so you, were ahead of your t- you were ahead of your time with the brewery, I thought, before all the and IPA you're... rush and all that. Pipeworks was yeah, uh, yeah. laying the Pipeworks. Yeah, yeah, it was. And your your books. Oh, I'm sorry, but I, so your bookstore is going to have like these community space events, right? Like yeah. music or whatever, yeah. or um, live arts. I would love to to have um, uh, you know comedians come through. Uh, I spoke with Kenny DeForest about possibly doing his Ohio stop here. I know I mentioned, and uh, you know, um, would love to have you come talk ab- about um, you know uh, writing your book and that process. Um, you know, and yeah, you we'll know, have the blackout diaries. Come. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, that would be amazing. And that, like, yeah. this guy's kind of the limit. Actually, Same you, audience. It's funny, you know, you, you could kind of old dog, new tricks sort of thing. But like, when I was touring the space, I said to that same brother, Mark, I was like, man. I can't believe this. We can do whatever the fuck we want in here. Like there was another <laughs> owner who was letting yeah. me, you right. know, and, and, yeah. and he was like, that probably shouldn't be your attitude because yeah. you own the business. And I was just like, I was like, oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we can do whatever the fuck. We can burn this fucking place down. Yeah. Call in if I want. Run scams out of here yeah. like the sting. Yeah, but there's a healthy element of that to it. So I hope it's a cultural access point and an engagement 
you know, feature is, is critical in like the, um, the model of the bookstore and I'll have tons of old books, uh, used records. I'll have, I'll have, uh, live music and, um, I've even got vintage and stuff over here. So yeah. It's a, so tell our listeners, when is it going to open, uh, for those of them that are in the, uh, Southern Ohio area and where is it in the Cincinnati area? Um, it's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood, um, adjacent to, um, both universities, XU and UC and about a seven minute drive from downtown. Um, uh, again, called Household Books in Walnut Hills, and uh, I'm going to open it Saturday, January 28th, and uh, run through at least the end of the year uh, as a semi-permanent pop-up shop, and hopefully um, we'll be able to stay in the space long term as well. So, um, all right, you know, yeah, it's a, it's it's exciting, and uh, you know, it still has enough chaos and rock and roll to it to be a, a proper home for uh, vagabonds like ourselves. Nice, and then after it's, it's changing you, you're not changing yeah, it. I was just going right? to say, yeah, and, if exactly. it, and if it doesn't work out a year from now, we burn it all to the ground. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's perfect. Leave some poor schmuck with the lease. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, Bobby, we wish you the best of luck with that. We appreciate you coming in. We look forward uh, to visiting that place soon. Yeah, awesome guys. Thanks catching up with nice catch. Bye, buddy. Bye, guys. Thanks, buddy. And we'll be right back. Black on the And we're back at the Blackout Diary. C.J. Sullivan and Sean Bear Flannery. That was Bobby Manelli, who just left. Make sure to check out his bookstore if you're in the Ohio area yes. next month. The very reserved Bobby Manelli. <laughs> um, and I, I do love that story, and uh, I love even like, in that interview. How- even in that interview, it seems like uh, like he's explaining the way he was in the story. Like he's quiet, quiet, but he's capable of of exploding. Well, that's how Bobby at any has point. always yeah, been. Yeah, he's just just combustible. Dude, he went. I, I didn't bring this up in the interview, uh, just because we didn't have time. But right. Bobby went on a four-state tour with the Blackout Diaries, just as a brewer. Asked for a vacation, had his job, <laughs> like a week off, and he went. It was me, Maddie Ryan, the Putterboss sisters, and my wife. Yeah. My wife actually performed at each oh of these shows God. too. So we we only had like half our acts were not comics, right. you know. We we sold out like every venue. It was a it was sounds a, like a great tour. It was a blast. But Bobby would talk like that up until a certain point. Then you would look over, and he was about to be in a fight without his shirt on. Like, he would go from <laughs> Mr. Pensive, like, sounds right. like he's doing an NPR interview or something like mm-hmm. that, you know, and, and what I really like about what you're saying, to, like, ready, like, just his arms wrapped, like, he's choking a guy out because the guy disrespected somebody else. And like, <laughs> like it, was, it was a fast acceleration sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, he just seems like like like, like oh he can he, he and and just just him back there to sing the I mean the visual of him in that bookstore like yeah yeah I feel like he's he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna burn this thing down eventually like he's, <laughs> he's yeah. capable of it and that's he's not gonna sure. be aware that he's doing it you know like one of those just out of bodies <laughs> and that's why we love him that's why we love him that's um, why he was the official brewer of the Blackout Diaries and now he's yep. the official bookstore he's official everything Bo- bookmaker yeah. uh, beer maker all those that flighter jive story of his uncle was uh, hilarious I never heard that before um, but I isn't that amazing I love that that's an old Irish thing too we would say of the of the men where you would do something do something once mow over the daisies if you will and then you're never asked to do again or, or allowed. And, and I don't know sometimes I don't know like I've I've heard those stories you you have uh, a legendary one that I'm going to put you on the spot here and tell but I mm-hmm. I can never tell when I hear these stories did they purposely mean to watch the kids this incompetently right. so they don't have to do it again like weaponized incompetence is the modern term yeah, for that Yeah I know right or or <laughs> They actually thought that they were hitting a home run <laughs> and helping everyone out. I don't know. Like, tell the story uh, to our listeners here because you, your grandpa had one of these incidents where he watched you and your sister yes. once, once and only one, once, and one then was time, never allowed to watch only you again. once. Because yeah, he he messed up, if you will. I, I love any career. Just had one <laughs> yeah, plate John, appearance. Johnny Day just like <laughs> forty-year career, one plate appearance. <laughs> Forty-year career as a grandpa, right. one at bat. <laughs> he was—he uh, left the house on a Saturday, like one of those. Um, I think it was a Saturday, and they, he's like, right, "I'm leaving the house." And they're, like, "Whoa, you know." That's I just remember telling her, "Whoa, whoa, take, take some of the kids with you." Like that was part of the thing. They would—they would—they would make men take some kids with you just to slow them down out there, you know? Like so. Sure. How much trouble can he exactly. get in if he's got you, you know yeah. two toe heads? Take a, take a know, couple, take a couple yeah. out of this house, you know. This is a big old Irish house. This is like this is my grandma's house yeah. up in Hartford, and um, on Bushnell Street. And then um, 
So he grabs me and my sister. I was pretty young. I was very young. I was like, I was, a, I was like a couple years old, and my sister was like five or something. And and uh, and he took us up the street. He took us up the street, um, because I think he said, I think he said he was going to work, and I knew they were He wasn't going to work. So that's why I said, take a couple of kids. The like, guy, right, fine, you got me. You know, you got me. Because he had, a, he's one of those old Irish guys who had like six different jobs. You never knew when, you know, he had to pick up. Right, absolutely. Just you never hustles. knew when fucking, yeah. you know, uh, actual work was. So. Yeah. so he takes us up the street to the bar, to the Maple, up uh, right up, which is right up there in the corner. <laughs> He didn't. He didn't bring us six. I was pretty young. I was like, uh, I think I was three, and she, my sister might have been five or two or five, something like that. Yeah. And um, toddler absolute, can get into abs- a lot of trouble in a bar. Uh-huh. That, that, that's hard, hard yeah, to watch in a bar. So, um, <laughs> especially yeah, it's hard in, in those days in the seventies or early eighties. He didn't take us in, but yeah. what he did do um, was he tied us to a pole outside of the bar. Like a dog like by a the dog. wrist, who was together. So he tied it to the pole, yeah. tied it to both our wrists, and then he—I mean—he sat by the window. He's not a monster. He kept so he had an he eye, had his on. eye on. Yeah, you. he did. He had an eye on us, and then he would feed it like literally like every hour. He'd feed us like pretzels through the window, and like you know, this little uh, peanuts and stuff like that. So we love that, you know. And uh, we had a good time. I, remember, I, I do remember people walking by like, there's, there's John's kids. What the? Just <laughs> tied to the pole. And it was like, it was like nothing, yeah, you know? That's and, hilarious. I, I love that because he's happy. You're happy. Absolutely. Now, what were what were the mom's reactions? Well, though? he gave us one instruction. Don't tell the women. Was what he's, <laughs> what's, <laughs> it was, uh, <laughs> it wasn't, even, yeah, it wasn't even your father or anything like that. Just don't yeah. tell any of the women back there at that house <laughs> that this happened. <laughs> And I don't care any woman. I, I don't care. Yeah, neighbor right. women. Uh, <laughs> I know. You, get the, you know, we don't have a maid, but if you see a, an employee, right. don't talk to yeah, them. Exactly. You know, a male woman. Any anything. man you can tell. Any <laughs> right. man on the planet you can tell about yeah. this. A but man no would understand. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, we know my sister. We're excited. We're like, ah, Grandpa, sure. you know, Grandpa tied us to a pole outside of the, the, yeah. of the bar. No, the what? You know, it was just like that story. The what? And they just they all started flipping out, and you know, and, uh, that was that. So he successfully got out of babysitting for us, at least, <laughs> at, least at least for my mom. But he, I, he was, I'm sure he was also forced to uh, get other cousins' kids. You know, that sounds like he was. Uh, he had a career more made for dog walking. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. He just missed his and, calling. <laughs> And to that generation, there wasn't that much of a difference between a dog and a child. <laughs> I have uh, the dog is certainly more loyal as he as he learned. A dog wouldn't have told anyone. Right, a dog wouldn't have told a woman. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have kind of a similar, not exactly a uh, sort of a similar story. And yeah. my dad lost the ability to watch us alone. Okay, how that happened? It would be hilarious when we would be um, when my mom would leave. She would actually hire a 12-year-old girl from the neighborhood to come watch us <laughs> while my dad is in the house. <laughs> so my dad would just be, like, fixing dressers and in stuff. In the house, right. This 12-year-old watching us. And you would ask him for something. He's like, Sean, go ask Joanne, all right? Like, like I'm not in charge. You know, I'm not even here. It'd be like, I'm not even here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And the I remember you saying that, they have like, like, tell, like, like what moms would do, that they would tell the neighbors' moms or whatever, moms. And oh, yeah. Like, I'm, go, I'm going out for a little bit. Yeah, he's home. He's fine. He's up in the bedroom, <laughs> yeah, working on a car or something. But he doesn't know what the hell's going on. Just keep an eye out there. <laughs> and the weird reason he lost it is my dad was one of those dads who could just never stop working. Like mm-hmm. like he was right. just like, – like his whole. Like, we, we were six kids in a two-bedroom house. And he was never really watching us. He was just always fixing shit, you know. Uh-huh. Like I think that's how he coped with six kids, you know. Yeah. And anyhow, uh, she was pregnant with my uh, my littlest sister, Eileen, had just been delivered, and okay. she's coming home from the hospital with my grandma and Eileen, and uh, my dad was watching us. Mm-hmm. Now, most of the time, my grandma was de facto watching us, but to pick my mom up, she had to drive my mom home. So this was like the only time my dad was like alone with us. And my mom's driving down uh, this avenue in Cleveland, and she sees like this crowd of people in the middle of the intersection. It's about like two blocks away from where we live. (sighs) And then they realize there's a baby in the middle 
of like the, the street with like this crowd of adults around it, like, <laughs> looking at it inquisitively. And then she's like, "Oh my god, there's a baby in the middle of that road." And then she, she gets closer. She goes, "Shit, that's Brendan, like raising Arizona style." Uh, my other brother. <laughs> Yeah, like yeah. right in the middle of the road with oh. this crowd gathering. And my mom was right. so embarrassed. Like, she's like, luckily, none of them knew me. I know the she mom. Oh, okay. She take goes, it I know the mom. I got it. Right, sure. Yeah, because she Imagine. didn't want to admit it was hers I know. That, and I deal with all the scolding and um, like the judgment. Right, of course. I, I get why she left. But like, if if that happened today, like any, any of this yeah. stuff, right, right. All these stories. If imagine seeing two kids get tied to a light bulb pole today. I know. That's what I'm saying to a light bulb. Exactly. Our parents. Ninety percent of my parents' story. If it like when they end it, I just think you'd be arrested today, mom and dad. <laughs> yeah. Amber alerts. If you're shooting basketball in a driveway alone, you know these kids were tied to a pole. Yeah. Babies in the middle of the street and just taking it. I know to mom. All right, it yeah. takes a village. Get it home. Get it. Get it back <laughs> to the neighborhood somewhere. <laughs> But yeah, my dad was painting the garage. Yeah, how did this happen? And he he locked the front door so he couldn't get out through the front door. Okay. But he thought he might have to come in through the back door to get like paint, uh, you know, equipment and so on. So he didn't lock the the back door, and he didn't think Brendan could because Brendan was still. Cr- I mean, Brendan was a baby. Brendan was only fourteen months. <laughs> He didn't think Brendan could get down the yeah, back they stairs, move around, and that he was like that. Then it was hilarious too, because like you'd hear him, like my dad getting in trouble and getting yelled at, and he would just sort of be like, "Well, I feel you just got to tip your cap to Brendan here at this point <laughs> I think, in time." I, I think mean, we got a genius. I mean, this guy's this kid's very advanced. <laughs> I mean, who would have thought right. he could get down two flights yeah, of stairs? We got an athlete on our hands. <laughs> Tip of the cap to baby Brendan. <laughs> yeah, I bet she did not see it that way. <laughs> she did not see it that way, and from then on, babysitters were hired uh, so that my dad was not watching us. That alone. is amazing. The, the neighborhood, <laughs> the neighborhood babysitter, while the dad is still there. <laughs> uh, well, Sean, that's going to do All it right, for today's well, blackout yeah. diaries. What you wanted to keep going? We can keep going. No, I think I was going to say, I think we might be over yeah, on time. Yeah, I think we're going to uh, we Yeah, I think we are. Yeah, up. so uh, we'll get into more stuff. We'll get into uh, a couple open invites that I think we're going to save for another episode yeah. that are really hilarious. Can't give, them too, can't give these um, listeners too much. Yep, you don't want to. <laughs> uh, what do you got uh, coming up here, CJ? Well, it depends when this show's coming out. But, of course, I have the Bottom Line Bombs podcast on uh, the Sports Gaming Podcast Network. I also, they also, so they want me to do that thing year-round. Which I want to do some tweaks to it. So you're gonna to have to. I was about to ask you that. Are you gonna to have to transition to new sports yeah. uh, once the NFL well, season is? Glad you brought that up. I, they also had me doing an XFL podcast, which I don't know much about. <laughs> I love how they think just right. because you're a supposed football right. expert, you should do XFL. You got to go where the jokes are, which means you got it. You got to go to like a national sport. XFL will certainly have funny jokes, but I I, I think you also got to hit like the the big topics. So you might need to sprinkle in some basketball or something there. For sure, for sure. No, I'm. Yeah. I'm going to do a bunch of general stuff like that, like uh, you know, mm-hmm. much like the visitors' locker room. I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll go to that sort. But I will say the XFL is we've only done a couple. I've only done a couple of shows of it, but it's it is pretty funny. You see old names, and then like, and then every caveat is like, whatever happened? Oh, a lot of off the field issues, like a lot of personal. Like it's like, yeah, okay, I see why. They, you know, I mean that. I mean, uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's anything that Jim McMahon has started. Because didn't he start yeah, it? Vince the, McMahon, the, right. Yeah, Vince McMahon. Yeah. Now it's The Rock, I think, took over. But yeah. Anyone who's remotely touched with him, whenever you're like, what happened to him? Then you read like the most depressing (laughs) article you've ever heard of. He just leaves a wake (laughs) of broken people behind him. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So that'll that'll be good going. Anyway, Sean, what do you got going uh, on? Places I can't return to. uh, Check out the book. It's on Amazon now. Uh, I'm also doing a live version of that uh, where the audience has got to pick the stories at Miss Murphy's and Sons in Chicago in February. So come to that. Murphy's and Sons. That's an old throwback place. That is an old throwback. That's great. Yeah. Adam Burke. The old Irish. Going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. 
One of those true Irish bars where there's no, no windows where you can't yes. see in, and the bar's way in the back, so no wives can be peering in and catch your husband's drinking. It's very Irish. <laughs> there's like seven different active fireplaces going. I've always said authentic <laughs> Irish bars are the hottest place on earth because of all yes. the fucking fires they put in them. And there's fires, and everyone's in sweaters. He's yeah. like sheep wool sweaters, and they're strumming guitars, and you're just sweating and drinking pints. Uh, I love the Irish. It's like we have to pretend we're in a Dublin fog, <laughs> no matter what the weather is. <laughs> so, you know, like my book has, uh, I want to say, 28 like choose your own chapters. Adventure? Yeah, it's kind of like a choose so your you own give adventure. So you give them options. You give them I'm options. Gonna, like, I'm, so when they come in, there's going to be like, uh, for lack of a better word, like a placard with these are right. the 28 chapters and here's a line or two right. about which each one's about. And then they nice. pick. So then I then I got to tabulate the votes and whichever stories they wanted to hear best, like that's right. that's what they're gonna I like hear. It. I like tabulate. Have you have you done the show yet? I have not done this show yet. All right. Um, I like, I like but yeah, I think it's it. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, it sounds fun. It sounds like a, a good social experiment. I, I wouldn't mind betting on uh, what I think these people would choose. Uh, what yeah, the I, options. Are. Yeah, and uh, you know? uh, yeah, I'll tell you how it goes. I there's a couple things that I uh, I think it'll work out. It'll be fun. Um, it sounds good. A lot. A lot of, <laughs> it's interesting very talking com- to the video. Like, confident. This is right. how I'm going to do it. This is how I'm going to do it. The yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but you know. Uh, yeah, That's it'll hilarious. be a lot of fun. But most importantly, uh, if you can't make that show, keep listening to the podcast. Like us and review us on Apple, yes. Amazon, wherever you listen to the Spotify. Podcast, leave us a review, Five stars, please. good reviews. Do the whole thing. Unfortunately, it matters. <laughs> I like to say. (laughs) That's our life model. Right. (laughs) We'll talk to you next week. All right. A podcast network.